You are listening to week two of Paragon Church's Engage, Engage with the Gospel. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. It was funny, last week we had 38 kids back there in the back during our first service, uh, having everybody all together, and then sickness blasted our church this week, and we have, I think, 10 this week. So uh, you can be praying for all those families. It has been a crazy, crazy week. This is the, the week that we had started out engaging in prayer. Last week, we got together. This is our second week of talking about engage. We got together. We talked about engaging in prayer. We talked about getting together and praying and fasting for the next two weeks about what God would have us do. And what I found out is this. When you engage in prayer and you engage with God, you also engage in a little thing that I firmly believe in, and that is spiritual warfare. We engaged in spiritual warfare this week. We saw firsthand what took place. There were some good things that happened this week. Jerome already announced they had their little baby boy on, I say they, he didn't have a whole, whole lot to do with it, but, uh, but uh, Samuel Asher came on Monday, and then after that, everything kind of went downhill. We had broken legs, we had two, three, four kids in the hospital, four more going into the ER to do strep treatments. We had uh, ourselves a seizure. We had some different other crazy stuff that took place. I started writing it all down. We had strep, flu, pneumonia. You kind of name it. It came up this week, and I said, well, if this is what it takes when we have to engage, maybe we should just stop doing it, right? Because it's just a little bit easier just to take a step back and not worry about all those kind of things like that and kind of take it easy. But the reality is the battle is real. We live life on a battlefield, but sometimes I think we think we live life on a playground, that, that life is just us happily going through life. Occasionally, a bully kind of gets in the way, and when he gets in the way, we do everything we can to avoid him, but, you know, we just kind of coast through life, and we don't really want to engage in this battle. We don't want to engage in the spiritual warfare, but here's the reality. I'm not sure about you, but when I was growing up, it's probably been about 20 years or so, but when I was growing up, I watched a lot of Saturday Night Live. I don't know if I can say that out loud at a church or not, but I just did, so I can't take it back, and it's on recording. Here's the thing. When I used to watch it like 20 years ago, there was a short kind of came up, and it was called uh, either uh, Fuzzy Moments or Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy, and I'm not sure if you remember those, but there was one about a bully that I remember, and the funny thing is I was like, I remember it kind of vaguely, so I had to look it up to find it, and as I found it, I realized that Jack Handy was actually a real guy. I didn't even know that. He was an actual poet that actually wrote for those things, but he wrote one about a bully, and this is what he put. He said this, there used to be this bully who would demand my lunch money every day, Since I was smaller, I would give it to him. But then I decided to fight back, and I started taking karate lessons. But then the karate lesson guy said I had to start paying him $5 a lesson, so I just went back to paying the bully. So sometimes I think we do that in our own lives as as Christians as well. When we realize there's a fight that is involved and it's going to cost us a little bit more to get involved in that fight, we just go back to paying the bully. We just go back to to going through the the motions and doing that. So I want to challenge you today, as we dove in last week in the, the year of 2019, to engage that we do that. 
We started by engaging in prayer. We started by, by just getting on our knees this week and engaging with God and asking Him to give us the direction of where we want to go. And because we've been engaging in prayer, there's something that, that you got the prayer guide. Maybe you got it last week when you were here. Maybe you got it uh, online. It's still there. You can still join us for the last week as we continue to pray for where God would take us to be. But I'd ask you to add four things to pray for this week and continuing to pray for throughout all of this. And these are the four things. God, open my eyes. God, open a door. God, open my faith, my, my heart, my mouth, because they can't hear if we don't ever say it. And God, open their hearts. Open their hearts. Can you add that to your prayer with me today? Can you put that down on the prayer guide that you have? If you have your phones, take out your notes to add this to the prayer. God, open my eyes. God, open a door. God, open my mouth. And God, open their hearts to hear the gospel. Because what I believe is going to happen today, what I believe that as we continue to engage in, in the prayer, that God is going to open our hearts to engage, engage with others. As we engage with him and his eyes become our eyes and his heart becomes our heart and his will becomes our will, he is going to open up our minds and our hearts and our eyes and hopefully doors to see the need that is out there. He is going to challenge us. He is going to, to move us in this direction. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a look at engagement. I want to take a look at engaging with others and especially engaging others with the gospel. And there's really four steps to that, and I really tried to cram all four steps into today, but if I did that, we'd go really, really long, and so I decided I'm just going to go ahead and put this into two messages, so come back next week for part two of this. But I'm going to give you the four steps now, and we're going to talk really about two or three of them today and one or two of them next week. But these are the steps. First, knowing the gospel. Knowing the gospel, to be personally engaged in the gospel. See, I, I know we toss out that word a lot, the gospel, but do we really know it? Do we know it in our own lives, and do we know it enough to, second, apply it? Apply that knowledge in our life. Third, in that application process, to live it out, and then, as we will talk more about it next week, talk about it or share about it. Share with others about it. So what I want to do today is I want to start with knowing the gospel and really getting there because I don't think we can share about it, we can't live it, and we can't apply it if we don't know it. So let's start with knowing it. And as you start with knowing it, what I would love for you to do today is open up your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And as you open up to Romans chapter 1, I want you to know this. I truly believe that when we started this series, it all started with engaging with God in prayer. And I believe knowing the gospel and understanding the gospel and applying the gospel and living the gospel and even sharing the gospel, it also has to start with prayer. It has to start with knowing God and knowing his heart because it's kind of like this. Why would I want to bother sharing about any of this stuff? Why would I want to bother living about any of this stuff if I don't even know God, if I haven't engaged with him first? So as you're going to Romans chapter 1, what I'd love for you to do is in this time, I want to pray because I want to pray that, that in this message that he, God, will reignite our passion for the gospel. 
that he, God, will reignite our passion and he will light up our knowledge about the gospel so much so that we'll get excited about what God has done for us and that we will get excited about what he is doing in us and through us because of the gospel. So let's do that first and then we're going to dive into Romans chapter 1. Father, once again, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to be here today and be able to, to be in your presence and to hear from your word. And God, may these words today not be mine. May they be yours. Maybe they be your words about your gospel, the power that is found in it through you. God, use this to glorify yourself today. We pray it all in your name. Amen. If you're in Romans chapter 1, I want to start in verse 13. And in verse 13, it's going to carry through through 17. And 16 and 17 are really the main focus here, but I don't think we can fully grasp 16 and 17 until we understand what 13, 14, and 15 say. So it says this, Paul talking to the Roman church. It says, Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, like I said, I really want to focus on 16 and 17 today, but before we can get to 16 and 17, you'll notice the very first word of 16 is the word for. And the reason why 4 is there is because it's tying back to 15. Tying back to 15, and as, as he ties back to 15, he says these words in 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Why? Why would he be eager to preach the gospel? Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been eager to preach the gospel? Or is the gospel kind of one of those things when you're sharing your story, you're sharing your faith, you're sharing about the goodness of God, is it a little bit more timid? Why is he so excited to do this? He says this, it's because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And why is he not ashamed of the gospel? It's because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So how is this gospel the power of salvation to everyone who believes? Well, the next thing he says is, for in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And he continues on to say, you know what? This isn't some new idea that I just came up with. It isn't something that God has just kind of inspired me to share with. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament and you go to Habakkuk 2.4, that's what he quotes there at the end of 17 when he says, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. You know, I find this such an interesting passage that he's not ashamed of the gospel. And you know one of the funny things I like about the way he writes that? He put, I, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But when he wrote that, he wrote it in kind of a backward sort of way. As he wrote that in kind of a backward sort of way, uh, he actually is saying, I love the gospel. And you're like, well, why didn't he put it that way? Well, it's kind of like this. Um, when Jerome and I, we'll go out to eat every once in a while. Uh, when we're here, we'll say, hey, where do you want to go? And, and if he's eating something, like, hey, how is that? Is that pretty good? And he'll turn to me and say, well, you know what? It's not gross. 
That, that, that's just his natural response. And if you ever sit with him, that's how he'll respond to you. Well, it's not gross. It's because it really is good, but he's just kind of grabbing your attention with, well, it's not gross. Well, what Paul is doing here with, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying, I love the gospel. It's not gross. It's not gross at all. As a matter of fact, it's not something that's going to get in the way. And he says, I love the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And he wanted every person in Rome to know it. You know what he also wanted to know? Because God was going to preserve this word for us for thousands of years, that we would also know that this message needed to be focused on the main need of every human being that was out there. It didn't matter if they were Greek or it didn't matter if they were Jew. It didn't matter if they were rich. It didn't matter if they were poor. It didn't matter if they were healthy. It didn't matter if they were sick. He knew every person had one need in common. And you know what that need is? To be reconciled to a holy God. To be reconciled to a holy God. And the question that I think people ask oftentimes is, how can I stand before a God that is holy and blameless. How can I do that? When I die and I stand before God, how can I stand before Him holy and blameless? And I think what Paul is going to do here is he says, I want to tell you how I'm able to do it. I want to tell you about this gospel. I want to tell you about the gospel that that I encountered on my way to Damascus when Jesus came to me and he changed my life. I want to tell you about that encounter, how I can stand before God. Because first thing he says is, I want you to know who God is. God is perfect. God is righteous. He is just. He is holy. He is love. He is mercy. I want you to know that. I want you to know that, that that is who God is. And when we stand before him, we're going to be standing before the perfect judge. The problem with us is, as a man, as a woman, as somebody who is born into this world, we have to also understand that we are not perfect. I know some of you look up here and go, oh, Matt, but really, I'm serious, okay? I'm just going to break that news to you. I fail all the time. I am a sinful being. I'm a sinful creature who fails regularly. And you know what? Every single one of us are in here are the same way. As a matter of fact, if you read a little bit further into Romans, in Romans chapter 3, he says in verse 10 that none are righteous, not one. doesn't matter if you're a, a religious Jew or a barbarian. None are righteous, not one. He also says that in just a few verses after that, Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and fall short of God's perfect standard. All of us are that way. So how can a person like me stand before God and, and be able to, to not experience what he even talks about in verse 18 of chapter 1 when it says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. How do we break that? How do we do anything? And you know what the answer is? We don't. We can't. There's nothing that we can do. There's no pile of good works that is big enough that is going to change my standing before God. So instead, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, because I deserved wrath. I needed something or someone that was perfect to stand in the way, to take my sin, to take my wrath that I deserved upon Himself. And that is who Jesus Christ is. That is who Jesus Christ is, and and he comes, and that is what the gospel is. That is what the gospel is. The gospel in itself, the word means good news. 
The good news is, is that while I can't do it on my own, God did it for me through Jesus Christ. And that is where salvation comes from. Salvation comes through Christ, the perfect sacrifice to bear God's wrath of the rebellion of mankind on him. And I'm not sure if that excites you at all, but it should. We have this tendency to to become numb to the truth of the gospel that is consistently working in our lives. We have a tendency to just go, yeah, I get it. I know that. I know I'm saved. I know that I, I was a sinner that was condemned to death, and now I am cleansed before that righteous God because of his son, Jesus Christ. I know that. But what's that do for us? If we just kind of merely go through that playground mentality where we're just on the merry-go-round, going around, it doesn't matter too much, but we need to be doing something about it because it truly is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God for salvation. That's how big this gospel is. That's how much it should be affecting our lives. That Jesus Christ came. As a matter of fact, look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we can't become our own righteousness. We can't become our own righteousness because it is the power of God for salvation, not the power of Matt. Guess what? I am powerless in all of this. But because God is grace, and because God is love, and because God is mercy, he sent his son. And why did he send his son? It's also because he is just, and he is holy. And imperfection cannot be in his sight. Imperfection cannot be in his presence. I didn't do anything. Paul didn't do anything. And that's why the gospel is so exciting. That's why he's not ashamed of it. But what we have to do is we have to respond in belief to that. Because here's the reality. If I don't even know that I'm drowning, why would I want anybody to throw me a life preserver? What if I thought I was just out for a swim in the middle of the ocean with no land in sight? Why would I want anybody to throw me a life preserver? I have to understand that I can't do it myself. And that is what the gospel tells us, that that we are sinners, that God is holy, that he sent someone in the person of Jesus Christ, God becoming man, to live a perfect life, to live a perfect death, or die a perfect death, and raise again to defeat sin and death. Isn't that just an awesome thing? So when we respond, we respond by believing. We respond in faith. And that's why in those verse 16 and 17, he actually says the word faith and believe four times. He says, to everyone who believes, from faith to faith, the righteous shall live by faith. See, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Sometimes we get into this mentality where we have to do all these things. We have to do these works. But can I ask you a question? If you're in this idea that these are all the works that we have to do, when is enough enough? It never will be. Now, Our works are a response to the fact that we have faith. Our works are a response to the fact that God's grace has been poured out on us. It's how I'm responding to Him in it. But it's not earning me anything. See, as we begin to look at it, we have to understand that it is about our belief that God did it all, that I am powerless. I am powerless in all of this. And here's the reality as well. We have to look at a few things with this faith. Because sometimes we say, well, as long as I believe, What does it mean to believe? See, sometimes we can get tied up in this idea of head knowledge. Well, as long as I think it, 
Well, it tells us in the book of James that the demons believe and they shudder. Well, the belief, that belief is just head knowledge. It has to be a transformational knowledge that there's three elements really in it. First, with our mind, we have to understand the content of the gospel, who Jesus is and what his death really meant for us, and that when he was raised from the dead, what that meant, victory over death. We have to get that. The second thing we have to have is we have to have a heart that responds to the truth of the gospel, where we agree that we, our sin, separate us from God. But his great love has brought us back together with him through his son, Jesus. The third thing is that his saving faith includes a commitment to Christ, a commitment of our life, a commitment of laying our lives down, saying, I am not the Lord of my life anymore. I'm not the one sitting on the throne. I give it to you, God, and I follow him. We need to understand that 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 is where it's at. And even as Paul says those words from faith to faith, that's a confusing statement. But what he's saying is it's not just a one-time decision. You don't just go, hey, you know what? I believe, and I'm good. I have my get-out-of-hell-free pocket or uh, card in my pocket. I'm good to go, so when I stand before God, I'll just give that to him, and everything else is clear. It's a, a faith that continues to grow. It is that faith when we first stand before God that, that we are justified in that instant all the way to the fact that we are justified when we stand before him. And, and it starts with this process of sanctification where he's growing in us and he's working in us and he's changing us. All that stuff kind of lays itself out there where belief is faith and faith continues to grow. And we need to understand that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That is the gospel. I just threw a whole, 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 whole bunch of information into your lap. And maybe it's like drinking from a fire hose for you if you're here for the first time. And I apologize for that. It's been a week of a lot of no sleep. And so I am running on on just fumes right now. But I'm excited about this idea of engaging in the gospel and getting engaged in, in all of this. And for people to truly know it. Because I want you to think about your life before Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about your life now. How has Jesus changed you? How has the gospel worked in your life? How has it done that? Do you really know it? And if you know it, how are you applying it? Because if you know anything about me, I'm an application kind of person. I think it says for us to respond, we respond first by knowing it, but then we respond by applying it. We, we know the gospel, but do we rehearse it daily? I know that sounds weird to ask, but do we rehearse the gospel in such a way that we say, God, every morning I wake up, I have fresh, new breath, fresh, new mercy, fresh, new love to, for you to pour out on me. And God, I just want to live that out in my life. I want to continue to remember. You know, when we come together for communion, it's a time of remembrance. We remember what Christ did for us. But do we need to be at the table every time to remember what Christ did for us? Or do we just need to wake up and go, I'm not, a, I'm not destined for hell anymore. God sent his son for me. So we respond by knowing it, we respond by applying it. And guess what? We can also respond by rejoicing in it. I know that this is a Southern Baptist church, and the idea of rejoicing and praising and whooping, whooping is not something that is on the forefront uh, of of the, the response that we generally have. But is it okay to get excited about the fact that we are saved? Thank you. Good. I wasn't sure. I know at 1030, I know the clouds are out there. I know we're kind of still half asleep. I was waiting for an amen to come out of all of that. 
Because it, it truly is something it's good to rejoice in, to meditate on it, to, to pray over it, to sing about it, to rejoice over it, to give. Amen. God, we are saved and we are continuing to grow closer to you because of who you are in our life. And as we do it, I, I want to think about this. I told you there's really four steps in what we're talking about in this thing, engaging in the gospel. And the first is to know it. The second is to apply it. But that application process just goes a little bit further. And kind of the challenge I have for you today is this. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to flip over to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be verses 13 through 16. Because this application is put into place right here by living it. By living it out, we respond by applying it in our daily lives and living it out. And Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5 is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he is challenging his followers to live a life of the kingdom. And this is what he has to say starting in verse 13. He says to them, you are the salt of the earth. But if that salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, our theme this morning has been engage the gospel. Last week we talked about engage in prayer, but engage the gospel. Know the gospel. Apply the gospel. And tonight, now we're going to talk about living it out. How do we live it out in our daily lives? And in Jesus' instruction here on the Sermon on the Mount, he's laying it out for his followers, saying, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He's not just saying, hey, you're salt, or hey, you're light. He is doing a widespread, big, booming earth covering. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the ones that are strategically placed in this to live it out. And I'm giving you a model of how you should live it out. And that's what he's doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to say, here's what you need to understand. In this idea, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I like salt. I like to put salt in my food. Uh, for those of you who have been here for a while, you know that almost eight years ago now, I went through cancer treatments, and in those cancer treatments, they radiated the snot out of my mouth, and it killed a bunch of my flavors, uh, my uh, taste buds. And in the process of that, it kind of killed my desire to eat anything. I used to really, really like to eat steak. Now, steak tastes like nothing. That's a shame, especially when you spend a lot on a steak, and you're like, mm, it's going to be nothing. And so when I think about that, I have to add a little seasoning to it, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. I like those places that put a little bit of dab of the garlic butter on it. It'll kind of melt down over the top of it. But the thing is, really all I'm doing is I'm just using a, a vessel to eat salt and pepper and garlic butter. That's all I'm, I'm really doing because there's not a whole, whole lot in it for me. But I began to look at this idea of salt and how it, it, it can flavor. But have you ever had somebody who has put too much salt on something? It's like, oh, it kind of makes you step back. As a matter of fact, there was a time I was making multi meals as a kid, and I grabbed salt instead of sugar. And I also didn't understand the difference between a tablespoon and a teaspoon. And so I put a lot of salt in multi meal. You know what's not good in multi meal? 
That's right, salt. And, and so, I, but of course, my mom, being who we were, said, hey, you made it, you eat it. So maybe that's the reason why I love salt so much today. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that, that's part of it. But the, the, the reality is, is that, that salt is there to flavor. And salt, even in Jesus' day, was a little bit different because it was used as a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. So you had the, the idea of preservative agent to, to prevent decay, but also the ability to add flavor. And Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the world. And the salt that you've been given to flavor the world, the salt you've been given to preserve the world, is the salt of the gospel. That is what is inside of you. See, we have a different mission. The followers of Jesus have a different mission in the world. The purpose of our redemption and the purpose of our righteousness and the purpose of the gospel in our life, first and foremost, is for us, but not only for us. It's for us to take out and flavor and influence the culture to engage. When you engage your steak with salt, you're going to notice a difference. When you engage your, your food with some sort of flavoring, you're going to notice a difference. And he says, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to go into all of the earth, not just right here, all of the earth, and sprinkle yourselves out and be influencers in every area, impacting wherever you're at with the flavor of God. It doesn't matter if you're in school. It doesn't matter if you're in work. It doesn't matter if you're in the store. It doesn't matter if you're in the restaurant. It doesn't matter what you're doing or where you're at. I want you to be flavoring and influencing like salt does wherever it's at. That's what I want. That is the challenge that we have. That is the gospel flavor we have in our lives. See, we're not put here on earth to do like everybody else. I think that is something we get caught up in. Our primary goal isn't to earn a living and get an education and hang out with friends and raise kids and save for retirement and enjoy all of those things. Those things aren't bad, but that is not our primary mission. Our primary mission is to see life transformation happen. If you know our logo, our, our motto, it is come as you are, be changed, and then what? Go change the world. For us to see lives transformed. Our mission is life transformation. And if we miss on that mission, if we fail because we lack the focus or we lack the, the godliness, look what it says in verse 14. The salt is no longer good for anything. Well, if the salt's no longer good for everything and we're salt and we're not serving our purpose, then, then what's our purpose here? Isn't that one of the, the biggest questions that we have? Is what is our purpose exactly? See, if your mission isn't gospel transformation, what is the point of the gospel in your life? I know it's a heavy question to think about, but I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. I think that's what Paul's saying when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel transformed me, and it's going to transform you, and I'm good. but the only way it's going to transform you is what he says a little bit later on in Romans chapter 10. When he says, how will people hear if nobody tells them? How will they see it and experience it if they're not being flavored by it? And that is our challenge. And even as we go, and see, Paul wasn't ashamed. And then he switches from, from Jesus switches from salt to, to light. And once again, it's, it's the light of the world. And we see this specific metaphor. What is the purpose of light? Isn't it to light up the darkness? If I ask Corey to turn off all the lights in here, 
you would still see light coming in through the door and light kind of poking through the places where we missed on the painting. And you see light shining just a little bit. It's enough to, to break the darkness. That is the point of light. The point of light isn't to just put all the light bulbs in one room and hopefully we shine really bright in here. The point is to go out into a dark world and dispel the darkness, to chase away the darkness. That is what we've been given the gospel for. And so when we really stop and look, look at what he says here. He says, there's no purpose to a light if it's hidden. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all who are in the house. Guys, can I tell you something? Light is meant to shine. Light is meant to shine. That is why we have the gospel. That is why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. We have a light, and we need to let it shine. My kids have been listening uh, on YouTube. Christmas break got really long, and then sickness followed it, so it's been even longer since then. But there's this... uh, channel on YouTube called Listener Kids, and it's all kind of Christian music that, that it pops around, all kinds of digital animation type stuff, but they do that song that I've now heard way too many times in the last two weeks, but this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Am I going to put it under a bushel? No, that's right. I'm not going to put it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. And there's this whole thing. And my kids dance around and they're singing it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, here we go. And, but they, I'm like, just do it though. I mean, it's such a simple song for little kids to dance around to. But we have a light inside of us that we are going to let it shine. It has value. It has purpose. But no value and no purpose if we're shoving it underneath a basket. We need to let it shine. And the great reason is, is why we need to let it shine. Jesus tells us in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? What's it say there? And give glory to your Father in heaven. You know why we were given the gospel? First, for our salvation, but second, so we could praise God for our salvation. And we can give glory to God for our salvation. Because our whole point in being here to begin with is all for His praise and His glory. How awesome is that? See, when it says we're taking this idea of the light, we're taking this idea of the salt, it's not even our light or our salt. It is what God has given to us to use and display for His glory and His honor. That gospel we know, it's changing us. That gospel we apply, it's changing us. That gospel that that we are living, it's changing us. The gospel wasn't something that we just had to deal with our sin and our eternal destiny. That is a huge part of it, but that's not it. The gospel was meant to be transformative to the world, and we get to be God's messengers. We get to take that same gospel, and that's why it's so important to know it. That's why it's so important to celebrate it. That's why it's so important to rejoice in it. Because I think, just like anything, if you really love it, you're going to talk about it. And that's what Paul's doing. I can tell you all day long about the different foods that I love. I can tell you about the sports teams I love. I can tell you about the restaurants I love. And we can talk about it. We can debate about it. We can do all kinds of things. But I will have my feet in the ground to say, this is why this is the best and so on and so forth. What if we did the same thing with the gospel? Something that actually matters. Something that that actually is life transforming. See, we are in a battle. I told you that from the beginning. 
We've seen it this week as we've engaged in prayer. We are in a battle. But what better place to be? Fighting alongside of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, going out into a world to see transformation take place. And you're like, but Matt, you don't understand my friends. You don't understand my family. Yeah, I do, because I have the same friends in the same family. Didn't say this was going to be easy. Kind of like fighting that bully. Take karate lessons or just pay the bully. Sometimes we're like, I don't really want to pay for the karate lesson. I don't want to have to go through all the fight and the work and the effort and all that stuff. It's going to take it. It's going to take it to be the light. It's going to take it to be the salt. It's going to be taking it to go out into this world that, that doesn't even know that they are drowning, but it's our job to not be ashamed of the gospel and share that fact with them. And you know what? I have one more point that I want to share with you, but we are uh, close to time, so I'm going to save it for next week. We're going to talk about, yes, yes. First, first cafeteria is calling some of you, so I don't want to get in the way of that. But, but here's the reality. As we engage the culture and we share the gospel, it needs to come out of our mouths. We need to be intentional about gospel conversations. We need to be in, go in gospel conversations. And next week, we're going to look at probably one of the most famous gospel conversations there is that has one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. We're going to be in John chapter 3 next week. And we're going to look at how Jesus had that gospel conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Because there are people out there that are desperate. There are people out there that are hungry. There are people out there that are just wanting to know the answers to life's questions of who am I? Why am I here? What happens when I die? All of those kind of things are real questions for real people. But can I just challenge you this week to know the gospel before we worry about sharing it, to know the gospel, to know what is done in your life. And if you don't know the gospel, to talk to me this morning before this morning's over so I can tell you a little bit more about the gospel and why God sent his son for us because of his love and because of his mercy. Can we do that this morning? Can you know the gospel and can you apply the gospel? Can you rejoice in the gospel this week and really just have God reignite that passion and pray that prayer, the prayer of God, open my eyes. God, open the door. God, open my mouth and God, open their heart. Can we pray that? Can we take that as we leave here this week? And let me just be honest with you. I'm not telling you not to share the gospel. Some be like, well, Matt said, don't share it. So I'm just going to not do that. I had all these opportunities. God, open those doors. God, open their hearts. But I'm not going to open my mouth because Matt said not to. I, that's not what I'm saying at all, by the way. But know the gospel. Get excited about the gospel. And if God gives you those opportunities, share the gospel. But like I said, we're going to talk more about that even next week. We are not here on earth with the same mission as everybody else. We have a purpose and meaning far beyond what the world is chasing after. Let's live that purpose out. Let's be salt. Let's be light as we leave. Because just outside those doors is your mission field. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you do. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to even get to share your gospel on a regular basis on a Sunday morning. But beyond a Sunday morning, God, there are people every day, everywhere that we run into. There are rich people, there are poor people, there are healthy people, there are sick people, there are Jews, there are Greeks, there are religious, there are pagans. We run into them all throughout our regular week. God, I first want to pray that you open my eyes. Open my eyes to what you would have for us. Open our eyes to see the world as you see the world. To, to experience it as you experience, for your will to be our will. Open our eyes to that. 
And then not only that, God, open a door. Open a door for us to see into the lives of people, to get to experience who they are, to experience what they do, and to start a conversation with them. Not just a conversation about their eternal destiny, but just about their life. Get to know them. God, give us that opportunity this week, we pray. And then when that opportunity does come, God, I pray you help me open my mouth to not be ashamed of the gospel, to not be ashamed of the Father in heaven who loved me enough to send Jesus Christ to die for me. And then, God, as only you can do, I pray that you open their hearts because I am powerless, just like Paul was powerless, just like we're all powerless. The power of God is found in salvation. God, may that be a reality as you open hearts and you open minds and you give us those opportunities to share. God, maybe you've opened a heart this morning, a heart that needs to know more about you. I pray that even today during our response time that we respond by either knowing it or applying it or even this morning getting to know it. I pray that all happens in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here right here in the front, and I would love to talk to you about who Jesus is if you don't already know him. I'd like to, to reignite that passion or be a part of reignite that passion of who Jesus is if you already do know him, but maybe he's become kind of blah. And I'd like to see God do some amazing things. Guys, we're going into a battlefield. We're going into a mission field that needs to hear about it. And we need to strengthen the power of God to do it because we are powerless to do it on our own. I'll be down here in the front to pray with you as we sing this last song. Girl? I love the, uh, the theme for this year of engaging, and uh, last week, the elders, we got together and had a meeting before service, and uh, just kind of challenged us as leadership to do that, to, to engage, to be intentional, to not just swipe the card at the gas pump, but actually go inside and intentionally try and get to know the people there, because, I mean, odds are you, you run into the same people fairly often. Or instead of going to the ATM, actually go inside and get to know some of the tellers. Being intentional about engaging the people. But I think what Matt said is so crucial, just knowing the gospel. I mean, think about it. that If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's crazy when we think about that, that verse, and it goes on to say, therefore, because of that that, that, that God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, and has committed or given us that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, and we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And he made the one who did not know sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful gospel. Nothing on our behalf, all God. And so those are the words we actually will sing as we close this service. We sing Jesus Messiah. If you're able, will you stand?